Welcome in everyone to the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damian here with David. Uh, today we are going to break down the rest of the League Championship Series and then look ahead to the World Series matchup, break that down and give our predictions. Uh, but before we get to all that, David, how are you doing this week? Doing all right. Uh, you know, the the last week I, were, I had a lot of emotions, I think, for a uh, for an you know a championship series set that did not involve me whatsoever uh, in my team. You know th- this Rangers Astros series. We're we're gonna get to talking about it here in a little bit, but man, I, I would say I was almost genuinely enthralled by a, a championship series that afforded a ton of drama uh, in a postseason that's been lacking drama for uh, the better part of it so far. So. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, emotional investment on that one, but uh, I'm very happy with the results. Uh, we'll get into it here in a little bit. Um, how you doing now that your uh, your team's been kind of knocked out of it? You know, that part that part I kind of got passed over this definitely uh, the last week or so. But um, man, it's just been a really hectic week over here. Just stupid busy. Just got a lot of things on the go. Um, just. Not had a lot of downtime to relax, been in and and uh, these these playoff games have been absolutely wild and electric to to keep me on my toes while I do have some downtime here. But um, overall, it was it's fun. I'm glad that we're you know getting into the time where the off season's kind of in reach, especially since our teams are out of it. Off season's one of my favorite times of the year um, with just everything going around. So can't wait to talk about that. But um, First off, you guys will notice that uh, Matt is not with us this week. He was on a uh, on a vacation. I actually think he's on his way home today, but uh, just wasn't able to line up to be a part of our recording today. But we do have his prediction, so we will uh, we'll give that to you guys here in a little bit. But I want to mention that he's not here. Um, but let's go ahead and jump to before we get to the the playoff. Uh, series, the LCSs, and then looking ahead to the World Series. Um, we did talk a lot about the dysfunction within the Padres uh, front office to manager to the entire organization, really. Um, and then we kind of mentioned that that report had come out that Bob Melvin and AJ Prello were both staying on um, for this next season and they were going to move forward with each other. Well, then kind of inklings had kind of come up recently that. That might not be the case. And then today, officially, it was announced that Bob Melvin is going to become the new manager of the San Francisco Giants. Um, signed a, I believe, four-year contract or three-year contract for that. Um, heads back to the Bay Area. You know, he had spent a lot of his time up there in Oakland with the A's. Heads back to to the Bay Area. Gets back with Farhan Zaidi, who he knows very well from his um, Oakland A's days as well. And uh, for a guy who was under contract, the Padres gave them permission to interview him and there's no compensation going back the other way. So basically the Padres just let him walk out the door for nothing and uh, to become a new manager of the San Francisco Giants. So an in-division manager change, which is going to be pretty interesting. What are your thoughts on this, David? Yeah, so Bob Melvin's got a pretty solid reputation, at least seemingly in this kind of major league circle of being this really desirable manager and kind of over like out managing the the roster that he has. And uh, you know, he was with Oakland there for a little bit, making the playoffs. But you know, Bob Melvin's a manager that hasn't gotten his team into the World Series at any point. And it's been pretty clear, at least from this past season, that given adversity, Bob Melvin teams don't typically, uh, you know, come back from that kind of big, you know, kick in the pants type of bad luck and bad sequencing and all that stuff. So, you know, I, you know, he's a good manager, but I don't know if he's the kind of like, you know, game changing manager that, you know, Farhan Saidi's staking his entire claim to this Giants, you know, team too, because, you know, you've got a Giants team that underwhelmed this year, got older, and does not have a ton of really good prospects coming immediately. Maybe Marco Luciano here at some point, and Kyle Harrison's pretty good, but you know, this isn't a team budding with those superstar top 20 prospects players. Um, and, you know, this is a team with a lot of free agent money, but, you know, over these next three years and maybe even as early as next year, if the Giants don't turn things around to some degree where we've seen, you know, 
big free agents spurn them. You know, if they don't turn things around to some degree, I think Farhan Zaidi's job is going to be on the line, and he's chosen Bob Melvin as his manager, which means Bob Melvin's jobs will be on the line pretty quickly. So this is the situation where I could see, I could see the Giants being in on a lot of the free agents and a lot of the the trade rumors and stuff, but the the Bob Melvin move here is very much you know, trying to fix something that really wasn't all that broken with Gabe Kapler. And I don't know that it's going to be a step forward. It might be a lateral step. It it feels like a step down to me from the younger, more analytically driven manager to the Bob Melvin, who's going to try to manage, you know, you know, he hasn't been able to prove that he can manage some egos, but he's kind of more of an old school guy. And, you know, we'll see what, what happens here, but I just, uh, I, I were I think this the Giants may be stepping into some territory of danger here going forward. Yeah, to me what I what I think the situation is is that Bob Melvin is getting going back to a place where obviously we knew that there wasn't a lot of comfortability in the Padres front office system. Um going back to a guy he's really comfortable working with, working under, and that knows how he operates, um in, in Farhan Zaidi. And then Farhan you know, he worked with Gabe Kapler in the in the Dodger system, but not as a manager. So maybe he's figured out, you know, the way that Gabe Kapler managers, maybe they there was something there that wasn't really right. And he's going back to a guy who he knows very well and how he manages and how he works with the front office in Bob Melvin, especially in this time, like you just mentioned, it's gonna be a transition year or two for the Giants. There's no more Buster Posey. They lost Brandon Belt this last year. Brandon Crawford's pretty much probably gone. Um, the, their their veteran stake that they've had in that locker room for a long time is gone. And you bring in a calming head of Bob Melvin and help him uh, or allow him to help develop some of your younger players and kind of just get the best out of what he has there and try and get out of the kind of drama filled you know situation that had been happening in San Diego. I think it could be solid. I think you, they're going to be aggressive on some free agents. I think we saw them last year. They were in on Aaron Judge to the end. They didn't get him. They made some other big offers to the shortstops. Carlos Correa was supposed to sign there. That whole deal happened. So, you know, I think I think they'll be aggressive enough. They're obviously, I don't think they're going to come in as a favorite. But I think it's just more of a calming presence with Bob Melvin there um, and getting with somebody you've worked with before and that you know you're in a transition area for. So we'll see how it ends up working out. Um, I think the more interesting parts that the Padres just let him walk without any compensation to a division rival. That's a pretty interesting move there. And um, AJ Perler's on what I say the other day is seventh, seventh full time or seventh manager in the last nine seasons or something. If you count the in, if you count the interim managers that um, they hired there and interviewed for the full time jobs, so that's going to be interesting uh, as well. But anyways. Let's get back to the to the meat and potatoes of this episode. Let's go ahead and start talking about these uh, league championship series um, matchups. So we'll start over in the American League. Uh, last time we talked to you, the Texas Rangers had a 2 nothing lead, uh, won both games in Houston. We're heading home for three games. We figured there's they have to take at least one and maybe two there and close it out in home, right? Well, that's wrong. Houston took every game in Texas. Um that first one, game four, they kind of, or game three, um, was the Max Scherzer game where he came back, had a really kind of rough start. Um, the first couple innings, he looked okay. Third inning, I think, is when they really kind of jumped onto him. Um, Houston kind of took advantage of that one and just uh, went ahead to win that one, eight five. Christian Javier looked really, really good in that in that game. Um, game four, Houston uh, won that one, ten three, and they got three inning or three runs in the first inning two off of. Um, Andrew Heaney, and then they brought Dane Dunning in for two and two-thirds innings. He gave up three runs as well, and basically just immediately took that Texas crowd out of it. It was 7-1 in the fourth inning. Um, Texas just really had no shot on that one. Um, and then game five is is kind of where this series got really interesting. Um, you know, at this point, it's 2-2. Um, it's been a, a close-fought series most of the way. Uh, Houston takes a one-run lead in the first inning off of um, Jordan Montgomery. Uh, and then basically both pitchers, it was Ver, to Verlander was pitching this game as well. Um, both pitchers went scoreless until the fifth inning where Verlander gave up one to Texas. Houston went ahead and scored um, one in the sixth. 
And then Texas got three big runs in the sixth inning. I believe uh, the big shot there was the Adolis Garcia homer, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, where good. he he really bat flipped it. Um, showed a lot of emotion on that one. And then when it was it was bottom of the eighth, I think it was when he it was. came back up the next time. Um, and Brian Abreu, I think his first pitch hit him with the fastball up and in. You know, we can talk all day if it was intentional or not. I, I don't think it's intentional in that area. But um, it basically set off benches clearing brawls, or not brawls really, but benches clearing. Uh, Brian Abreu got kicked out of the game, and Dolores Garcia got kicked out of the game, and Dusty Baker got kicked out of the game there. Um, and then in the ninth inning, Jose Altuve hit a three-run homer off of Jose LeClerc to give Texas a 5-4 lead in that one and basically kind of steal that game and shock that Texas crowd. So Houston went into Texas, took all three there, and then we headed back to uh, to Houston um, with them just looking to win one and close it out in front of their home fans. And then in game six, it was really close until the ninth inning. I think it was what? It was Houston scored one in the first, Texas scored one in the second. They scored two in the fourth, so three two or three one at that point. Houston got one back, it was three two, and then Texas kind of scored one in the eighth and five in the ninth to really, really pull away and win that one nine two. And then game seven, they came out and Texas just Jumped on Christian Javier right away. Three runs in the first inning. And it really, from that point, kind of just felt over. Felt like the Houston yep. crowd was out of it. And then Houston scored a couple runs there to you know bring it to 4-2 at one point. And then in the fourth inning, Texas scored four more to make it 7-2. and uh, Or 8-2, sorry. Um, and just that was, the, that was the final dagger there. So Texas went into Houston, won the final two games, moved on to the thing. Um, you, no team in this series won a home game, which I found rather interesting, but an overall just incredible, incredible series. Both sides had their ups and downs. We had energy. We had brawl, like, you know, we had teams disliking each other in there and just overall craziness. Um, so what was your, your kind of outlook, takeaway, everything from this series, David? So first of all, you know, I think, Congrats to the Rangers, right? I mean, this is a team that we've discussed at length uh, for being heavily involved in free agency, heavily involved on the trade market, right? I mean, a lot of their heroes in this series were guys they've traded for uh, beyond Adolis Garcia. I mean, you had Corey Seager, who was a big-time free agent signing. Uh, you know, they had uh, Aroldis Chapman pitching a bunch, which he was trade this year. And then Jordan Montgomery, who probably could have won the series MVP if Adolis Garcia doesn't put together 15 RBI on the series. Um, you know, it's Jordan Montgomery comes in and pitches game seven and keeps Houston at bay while the Texas offense continues to extend the lead uh, on like three days rest or something. I think that was really impressive and just a lot of grit from, from a guy who's going to, into free agency next year. Right. I mean, Montgomery also had turned in really good starts in this postseason as well. Um, but even especially, you know, in this league championship series, I think he was, uh, yeah, I mean, for over 14 innings pitched, he had a 129 ERA. He was just really impressive. And, you know, overall, I, I think, you know, Texas looked like the better team throughout the bigger, the better part of this series. And, you know, it felt like they could have won five games out of the seven, if not for the one, uh, the one Altuve late home run. Right. So, um, you know, we can get into the rest of it here in a little bit, but just as a series in general, I mean, Texas definitely brought it, uh, they'll get a chance to avenge the 2011 Texas Rangers who are the last team to have been to the world series for this group. And that's a team that's never won a world series. So it'd be pretty cool to see them win it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, just a, a fantastic series, you know, they, it, the ability to fight and go get two wins by a combined run differential of what is that seven and then seven 14 run differential in the last two games of the Astros season, just to put away a team that's kind of notorious for bending the rules and for doing this kind of thing, getting all getting butthurt about, you know, the, the league, not respecting them and favoring the other team and stuff. I mean, that report came out too, and it was just, a lot of people dunking on the Astros this week and ultimately it, it feels pretty good, but I will say he's getting, he's getting to be there is that Jose Altuve is getting really close to being the, the best postseason hitter of all time. Um, he He's about to take the lead on Manny Ramirez and home runs in the postseason, which is wild. 
he's like got 26 or 27 now, and Manny Ramirez is 29, uh, and that's the the career leader. So uh, he has uh, 27 postseason yeah. numbers. So he got to that in game five, <laughs> hitting the one. So um, just a just, yeah, Altuve is going to be that that dude. I think that you you've always got to beat, and he's going to be able to have that kind of in his back pocket. But it was kind of nice to see the Rangers, who are kind of the more fan favorite team here, go out and take this one after uh, the circumstances of Game Five. Yeah, I, I think most of most of America probably wanted Texas to win the series. Um, but jumping back to the the Jose Altuve kind of just playoff performer um, status so far, his career WRC plus is one thirty. His playoff WRC plus one thirty. It's identical. He's the same um, dude. Yeah, yeah. The stat lines look a little different. Three hundred seven career, two seventy three hitter in the postseason, and then you know on base is kind of close. He slugs more in the in the postseason, as we're kind of saying there. But um, yeah, the overall value is exactly the same as what he is in his career regular season to uh, playoffs. Which in a in something especially they've he's had one hundred and three games, so he's played a lot of postseason games. But you see a lot of rhetoric a lot of the time about, is this guy a postseason performer? Is he not? Jose Altuve is just Jose Altuve. He, do, he doesn't go one way or the other yeah. during the uh, during the postseason. He's just exactly the player he always is, um, which is really, really difficult to do. Um, so congrats uh, to the Texas Rangers for going ahead and knocking the Houston Astros out. Everyone is celebrating, especially, especially me. So... Um, but one piece of news that we did have with the end of the Astro season here was that Dusty Baker, um, I guess he's technically going to announce it tomorrow, but it's basically come out that he is going to retire um, from managing after, I believe, what, this was his 26th season as a full-time manager, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, 26 MLB seasons he managed. So uh, he will be retiring. So Houston will be looking for their new manager. Um, you know, we had the AJ Hinge situation and then you got Dusty Baker in there and kind of righted the ship kind of was that even keeled leader. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where they go. If they stick in house, um, which I think they still have Joe Espada. Is he still their bench coach or did he leave? I think he is. I, th- I think he's, um, he might just be the guy in waiting. Yeah. So it, most likely I would say that's that, but though we'll see, you never know what happens if they do a full on interview process. Um, from there. So um, congrats to Dusty Baker on a good career. I know David, you aren't a biggest fan, but 26, <laughs> 26 seasons of managing. I mean, um, you know, that's a, that's an accomplishment at least. So yeah, he's uh, he's been around forever. That, that is indeed something that he has done. <laughs> um, but, and, and he's, he's definitely not quite as, uh, he's not quite as bad as he used to be with regards to pitcher arm safety and other things that I dislike him for. But um you know, he, he, he has adapted to the times and shown that he can, you know, provide, you know, be a good, good manager. And, you know, he's, he's going to go to the hall of fame for sure. Yeah. As, as much to my chagrin, he'll, he'll be there. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump over to the, um, you know what, why don't we, why don't we step back though, real quick. Okay. I, I do want to get into the, I do want to get into the suspension a little bit. It, you know, you, you oh. mentioned you, you thought it was unintentional. The league did suspend Brian Abreu for two games um, after game five, serve, which he didn't serve in this, which which he did not serve in either game six or game seven. It will be pushed to the beginning of next year. So the league clearly felt like this was an intentional beaning of Adolis Garcia in response to celebrating the three run home run in the sixth inning of game five. Um, but the suspension got appealed by Abreu and the Astros and was up uh, was pushed by the league to next season, allowing Brian Abreu to play in both of these games. He subsequently gave up several runs in Game Seven. So, ju- I I think it was intentional. Um, it, it's something that it 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 could, probably shouldn't have been, right? It, it's a bad situation. Adolis Garcia at that point was there was a guy on base. Right. It, it, you know, it's it, you don't want to be beating a guy in that scenario um, late in the game. And I think the Astros end up getting out of it because everybody kind of calmed down and Ryan Presley comes in and and struck out the next guy and, and ended the threat. But 
you, know, you don't want to be putting guys on base in a playoff game in the bottom of the eighth inning. I mean, that's it seems dumb, but he, he it resulted in a suspension, which you know at, at the very least tells me it's a it's a bad mistake you can't make. But then Abreu did hit Mitch Garver in Game Seven. I think he had zero hit by pitches in the regular season. He had three. A three. Okay. Well, not a two in two games in, in the playoffs and three in the regular season, and and that guy throws hard too. So, you know, if if you're not doing that intentionally, which maybe he wasn't, but you can't be throwing ninety seven seven mile an hour right at guys in the postseason, right? I mean, that's that's irresponsible in See, general. Here's my thought on it: is that you're down two at home with you know at least Jose Altuve is coming up to the plate, like. I don't think you intentionally hit somebody in that situation, knowing that you're going to, or sorry, you're on the road. Um, knowing that you're going to the ninth inning with a chance to still win it. Like you're the one runs already on base. You're not going to put intentionally put somebody else up on base that they can. If, if one gets out there, then they immediately have, I think what it would be a five run lead at yep. that point. Um, I just don't think you, you do that. You know, do I do I think that maybe he was trying to to send a fastball inside to kind of right off the plate, kind of send a message? I think maybe that's what you're looking at here. I don't think he intentionally goes out there and says, I'm going to hit the guy. But like also at the same time, sure. it's the playoffs. We all know the energy that's surrounding the playoffs anyways. And we see this all the time with players hit hit a bit in a big moment. You get a big homer. Right. Like people are going to baffle They're going to bring the energy. They're going to do this stuff. Like, especially he was at home. Yeah. And it's Adolis Garcia, who's already a flashy type player. Right. That's why I don't, I, I think, I think he probably did it in that aspect of, Hey, I'm going to send him inside. And that's why I don't think it was intentional. Sure. Um, just in the aspect of what you, what you have going on there now, was it the right move? No, but no. like, but like, also we see these guys with high velocity nowadays, and sometimes they're just super wild, and they don't know yeah. where it goes. Right. So, I, I don't, I don't know. I think the one problem that I do have is if MLB did feel like it was enough for suspension, like, then you make him serve the suspension at this time. Pushing the suspension off to the regular season does absolutely nothing. Oh my mm-hmm. god, he's not going to throw until the third game of the season. Whoopee! Like, yeah, they might not need him. <laughs> yeah, it literally means nothing at that point. He's a reliever. Yeah. Um, now, if now if you if he misses in the playoffs and say they're winning those games and now they don't have one of their best relievers, then well, at that point, what are you doing? Right. You know what I mean? At that point, it, it's might be a problem. So that that's the only issue I have with the whole if the suspension thing, like if MLB did feel it, it was suspension worthy, which obviously they did. Then you make him serve it in the playoffs because you committed the, the penalty in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that That's my problem. Hey, I, I, I completely agree with that. I will say that my one counterpoint is that if you're going to hit somebody, you're not thinking rationally because putting somebody on base for free is dumb, right? We've said that, right? Putting a guy on base in the eighth inning of a game. You only have six more outs to get. And I think at that point there was one or two outs in the inning. You only have four or five more outs to get in the whole game. Right? Like you, you need to get as many outs as you can right now. Well, like worry about Adolis Garcia later, right? You can't be thinking about that. But if that's on their mind, they're not thinking rationally at all anyway. Well so, the thing is is they were already down, so it wasn't even like they had five more outs. They literally had that inning. Yeah. Because they didn't know if they were gonna come up with the ninth. So right. And and what what and the resultant of of Adolis Garcia kind of taking exception to the hit by pitch was Jose Leclerc, who got the last out of the last inning, had to sit for 15 minutes, came out cold, and then gave up to you know a walk, I think, and then a single, and then a home run, right? So he he obviously was affected by it, and and I don't I think that's the only runs Leclerc's given up in the playoffs so far, right? He's been really dominant, except for that inning coming off of a 15 minute brawl. So you know it, it's a it's it's what made this series really entertaining for me. I thought this was kind of the moment, and then Adolis obviously gets him back in the uh, in the seven game seven when he puts puts together a bunch of runs. He ends up with the the NLCS MVP or ALCS MVP, which uh, I think is well deserved. I mean, fifteen home runs. He had a, a eight ninety three slugging percentage. 
you know, five home runs in this series. Adolis was a monster at the plate. And uh, I just want to note one more time, uh, he was traded from the Cardinals to the Rangers a few years ago. So that's a, that's a good one. That feels good. Well, he was DFA at first and then traded. Yeah. Um, and then did you see the, sorry, not to get too far off topic here, but did you see the Cardinals reporter trying to like make it seem not as bad because the Ranger, he didn't like make camp with the Rangers either. So yeah, like he, did get DFA'd. he did get DFA'd by the Rangers, right? I mean, they, yeah. they've a lot of people missed on Adolis Garcia for a long time there, but I'm really glad yeah. he's gotten that opportunity. And, you know, we've talked about him a lot this year. He's made the all-star team. He almost hit 40 home runs, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the last couple of years he's been volatile. This year he was really consistently good and shows some major plate improvement, uh, plate discipline improvements. So, uh, yeah. you know, this is a guy I think I trust going forward to kind of maintain this stardom. Yeah. Um. So now let's go ahead and jump over to the um, to the National League side. Uh, when we were recording last time, Philly had won Game One. They were up big in Game Two. Um, it ended up being ten nothing. Um, they really just ran away with with that one there. Um, and then Game Three, which I think we all expected to be a uh, like a duel of the offenses uh, coming in, uh, Ranger Suarez and Brandon Fott just basically shut each other's offenses down Brandon fought through five and two thirds, two hits scoreless, nine strikeouts Ranger short war is through five and a third, three hits, zero runs, seven strikeouts. He walked one within there too. But um, you know, this game was, it was really, really close. It was fun. Um, you know, the Phillies got one run in the seventh um, and then the Diamondbacks turned around and got one right back in the bottom of the seventh. And it was just tick for tat that entire time. Both teams had had some opportunities late in the game. Um, but it ended up being a um, – oh, how did they end up doing this? It was on a um, Cattell Marte single to center field off of Craig Kimbrell is how they uh, the Diamondbacks ended up walking off this game and ended up winning game three two to one. No, yeah, two to one. Um, they're in front of the home crowd at Chase Field. Um, and then we go to game four, and you have Arizona got – a lead in this and got lead scoring in the second and then one in the third as well. Philly comes back in the fourth gets one fifth gets one sixth get two seventh get one. So really kind of took that, that commanding lead. I think it was what five, two at the time. Um, Arizona got one back in the bottom of the seventh, make it five, three. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Arizona was able to score three off of Craig Kimbrell again. Um, he came back in was really wild. Um, couldn't really find the strike zone, gave up three there. Uh, I believe one of those was an Alec Thomas Homer, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're right. Oh, his was in the eighth. Yeah. Was, was one of those three runs there. Um, and then, so that, that gave Diamondbacks a six, five lead. Paul Seawald came in, closed it out. So Arizona took that game. Um, five, six is now the series was tied at two. Um, game five was in Arizona again. Philly took two in the first inning, um, two in the sixth. Arizona got one in the seventh and then Philly just came back, got two in the eighth, took this one, six, one. It was kind of a commanding win. Zach Wheeler was his typical Zach Wheeler self here in the playoffs. Um, Gallon kind of struggled initially on that first inning, but uh, you know, settled back into to what we expect from Zach Gallon. But Phillies won this game, six, one heading back to Philadelphia up three, two, just needing one there. Um, and then we got the notorious Chris Mad Dog Russo saying, hey, if Arizona wins both games, I'm going to retire on the spot. Uh, well, Arizona went into Philadelphia game five or game six, um, took uh, got three runs in the second inning, took the lead there. Philly got one in the second. Um, Arizona came back, scored two or scored one in the fifth, one in the seventh, one, five, one. Kind of really felt like Philly didn't really have a chance, especially after those three runs there. It was just, I don't know. Their offense just kind of seemed a little bit off, especially once they got back to Philly there. Um, and then game seven was, it was a really, really fun game to watch last night. Um, Arizona got one immediately in the first that was off of, uh, was that Carroll? Was that the Carroll one? Carroll got on base, I think stole second and then got That was the Christian Walker ground out. Yep. Scott singled over to third and then got grounded in. Yeah, and then Philly got one in the second, and then they got one in the fourth. We're up at that point, but Arizona came back to got uh, two in the fifth, 
to take a uh, three to two lead and then one in the seventh. And they just basically shut them, shut Philly down. I mean, they had a couple opportunities there, but nobody was able to come with through with that big hit. I think their the best opportunity was in the seventh. They had two guys on Bryce Harper came up and he just missed one. I think he hit like 107.6 miles an hour or something ended up being like a fly ball left center field. Um, I guess that was the the second one. He came up. I think it was in the. Fourth I, I want to say it fifth. was the fourth inning. Phillies yeah, were ahead. Inning. Phillies had just scored the run. I think yeah, Muto hit an RBI single. Put them ahead. Yeah, yeah, and then and Harper comes up and hits. It looked like it was like a cutter or something inside, and Harper almost inside outed it out of the park. Yeah, uh, which would have been a masterful feat. I genuinely thought he hit it out. Gurriel caught it like a foot in front of the wall. Yeah. And it, you know, that I felt like was the – it almost felt like the air kind of came out of the Phillies' offense there, right? I mean, they were getting guys on base, very aggressive, you know, plate approach, you know, a lot of big swings. The Harper hits a deep fly ball. Everybody kind of thinks it's gone, and it's, it settles harmlessly into a glove. And I don't know that they were really that much of a threat the rest of the way. Yeah, the only – like I said, the only other opportunity really felt was in the seventh inning um, when they got some people on there, and then Harper just missed that other one. Um, it, you know, it was a hard, hard hit fly ball. Um, but yeah, at that point, it just felt like Philly was taken out of it, and their at bats kind of seemed like it. Um, Paul Seawald came in, or uh, Kevin Ginkle. First of all, Kevin Ginkle, oh this my playoff has been insane. What he came in, he was the one that got the the out to Harper in the seventh inning, which one of those pitches like he fooled Harper so bad because of the breaking stuff he had. There was like a ninety-six mile an hour fastball right down the middle. That like is a typical Bryce Harper like hit the ball almost out of the stadium type pitch and Harper just watched it. That's how nasty Ginkle was. Um, and then he came out in the eighth and just mowed them down right away too. Um, and then the ninth, Paul Seawald was his normal his normal self was just really dang good. And Philly goes back to Philadelphia or Arizona goes back to Philly down two games and takes both of those games in Philadelphia to beat the Phillies, knock them out and continue their kind of Cinderella run uh, to the world series An 84 win team went ahead, knocked out the Brewers went uh, and swept the Dodgers. And then now, you know, when they, everyone thought they were dead to Philly, went back in, took the two there, um, beat the Phillies. And now we're on to the world series. Uh, so your world series matchup will be the Texas Rangers um, against the Arizona diamondbacks. So, pretty electric series. Um, this one was and a pretty fun series that we're going to look forward to, but, uh, David, what was your thoughts on the NLCS altogether? Altogether, this shows the, the nuances of two different playing styles, right? I mean, you've got an Arizona team that has one dominant starter, one good starter, and that's, you know, a rookie essentially in Brandon Fott, who's got some good stuff, but he's very much a rookie. Um, and a bullpen extremely well put together. And you've got Philadelphia with ace, ace, and then, you know, strong starter in Ranger Suarez, right? I mean, it's a, the Philly team is very well put together. A lot of playoff veterans, right? I mean, Kyle Schwarber hit five home runs in this series, um, you know, bringing him to the number one left-handed hitter all time in the playoffs in home runs, bypassing David Ortiz. So, um, you know, the, this is a a juxtaposition of how to play baseball, right? I mean, you've got a team who's kind of scrapped together, clawed together, no name guys, right? I mean, I'm before the I think before the wild card round, I hadn't even heard Kevin Ginkle's name, and now he's like pretty clearly, you know, obviously a really good reliever, um, and they, they've got a bunch of guys like that, right? I mean, they've got Thompson, Mantafly, they uh, Paul Seawald, who is a guy who's pretty you know, notoriously strong. And he's a, a guy who throws 93, but he throws it from such a strange arm slot that he gets a lot of carry on that pitch, gets a lot of extension and is able to make that thing look like it's 97, 98 and blow it by guys. Um, you know, that they were fairly untouchable once the starting rotation, you know, left the game. And uh, that's what you have to do to win in major league baseball's playoffs, right? I mean, you have to have guys who miss the bats and, you know, the Philadelphia offense is entirely home run driven. They they didn't really string a whole lot of hits together. It required you know Alec Bohm or uh, you know uh, what's the other guy's name, Bryson Stott, to be kind of 
getting runs home. And those guys really went cold in this series, right? I mean, they were really fiery and uh, carrying the offense in that, in that Atlanta series. And they weren't, they weren't really on in this series, right? I mean, Bryce Harper did Bryce Harper things. Kyle Schwarber hit five home runs, but ultimately the, the big high octane offense falls short to the kettle Marte, you know, 16 game hit streak in the playoffs, whether he's just consistently, you know, hitting the ball in play, you know, Corbin Carroll was really, really good in this series as well. Um, you know, he put together, uh, I think a three for three night in game seven. So, you know, the, the, this Diamondbacks team was just plays consistent baseball. You know, we, I saw him, I think two times in September against the Cubs and they went five and one against the Cubs. I mean, this was a, a team we kind of saw in there and they were like, we were like, man, they're, they're really annoying. <laughs> the, the offense just never, never seems to die. And, uh, you know, it's, a uh, it's one of those things where, you know, even when they're, they don't really have too many big stars and that kind of, I think enables them to, everyone it finds a way to, to get the job done in that moment, right? It doesn't matter if it's Gabriel Moreno, who's like 23 years old or Corbin Carroll, who is 23 years old or Christian Walker, who's over 30, like they, they get the job done. Um, so it's, you know, two different styles of baseball and, uh, you know, Dimeback style wins this time last year, it was the, uh, the Phillies that went to the world series. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's my takeaway from this is that, you know, you can kind of be an 84 win team. You just have to get into the tournament and you've got a chance. If your bullpen comes together, if your offense just remains consistent, doesn't fall into big slumps like Nick Castellanos, who disappeared for the series, then uh, then you're golden. Yeah, it's just kind of hard to predict those type of things. Right. Um, that's that's one of the big, big majority of things. I, I think that the takeaway that I take from this series is that um, the Diamondbacks are the Diamondbacks are one of those teams that you have to watch out for for the next five to ten years. Mm-hmm. They have they have really really good young players, and we knew this was coming. We knew they had Corbin Carroll down there. We knew Zach Gallon was really good. We knew they had guys like Brandon Fott. And it was just like, when when are they going to put it together? I think everyone thought this was probably a year, maybe two years, kind of too early. Like, we think we thought Carroll was going to come in and be an impact player. I don't think we thought he was going to be as good as he was right away. I predicted right? him for MVP. I don't speak for some, most, <laughs> most people. Um, you know, and even, even then, like, coming into the playoffs, like, Brandon Fott hadn't pitched much this year, hadn't looked really good. We were really wondering what that starting rotation was going to look like here. Um, outside of Gallon and, and Merrill Kelly, you know, the bullpen had had its spotty moments before. Um, Andrew Salfrank has thrown almost as many postseason games as he had regular season games in his career um, this this year. Like, it's, you know, they're, they're just finding these guys, you know, to, to come here and be a part of this, you know, kind of long-term type thing. You have Cattell Marte signed. Um, you know, Alec Thomas had some big moments in this playoffs. He has been a guy who had struggled so far through his career. Um, he's, I think he had two big homers in this series. Gabriel Moreno is showing exactly what he can be. Um, I think he, at one point he was moved up to third in their, in their, yeah. their lineup, like, and defensively what he's able to do. I think the, who, who did he throw out? It was just an insane throw. I think it was Bryson Stott. Um, yeah. It was like a pass, like almost a pass ball that kind of bounced like to his left by like six feet. He picked it up and gunned him out at second, like just insane defensive stuff there. Like this team is going to be really good. And the the thing too is they don't really have much big contracts on the books. Like they could still be super aggressive and go get a big time player or two. Um, and we've sh- they've shown that they'll be willing to to sign people. I mean, they signed Zach Grinke. They signed Madison Bumgarner. Um, the Bumgarner contract didn't really work, but they've shown the, the willingness to sign big players mm-hmm. to these contracts when needed. Um, that That's my big thing is like, I think we're seeing the Diamondbacks break out a year earlier than most people thought. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like a, com- a, com- a comparison, you know, maybe the 2015 Cubs that kind of suddenly won 2015. 20- 97 games and then kind of accelerated the world series next year. But if you remember, that was a team that lost the NLCS because the other team had, you know, a Daniel Murphy who hit like nine home runs in the series or something. The Phillies had Schwarber hit five, but but he, there were five solo home runs, right? I mean, he, he wasn't able to capitalize on, on those, 
that power surge. And, um, you know, the Phillies weren't able to put this little scrappy Diamondbacks team away. And I think that might be like the difference between, you know, the, the, the spot where they are. I mean, I, I think this Diamondbacks team could definitely make some moves and they're running up against a, a bit of a juggernaut, right? I mean, this, this Rangers team is kind of meant business from the beginning of the playoffs. And, um, you know, looking forward here to yeah. the World Series matchup, I, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it because I think the Rangers had to fight a lot to get mm-hmm. through Houston. They pitched Jordan Montgomery in game seven. The Diamondbacks, you know, they've, they've shown willingness to go to the bullpen for bullpen games, right? I mean, they're a team yeah. that doesn't have four starters that they're comfortable with. The Rangers have two starters that they're extremely comfortable with. And then, you know, it's kind of, well, it's, it's, is Max Scherzer healthy enough is, you know, they're, they're willing to throw Jordan Montgomery in the bullpen, but now is Jordan Montgomery going to suffer from that, you know, on this next start in the world series, who knows, right? So it's going to be very interesting going forward. I guess I'll, I'll ask a question of you here. Who would be your pick between either of these teams so one for each team to win World Series MVP to have the Adolis Garcia or Kettle Marte run in the series here. It's funny you asked this because I was thinking about this today, knowing that we were going to record this episode tonight. Um, and I was going to come up with this question to you here in just a little bit, actually. But, um, you know, I don't think from Arizona anyone's going to really pop out and surprise you. I think if this Arizona team is going to win, it's going to be on the backs of Corbin Carroll or Cattell Marte. Um, I, you know, Lourdes Gurriel is going to have solid games. Gabriel Moreno is going to have a hit, a, you know, a solid hit at some point. Alec Thomas can have a big game here, but really, it's the the top two in this lineup are the main two. If you if you shut those guys down, um. That's that's really where it's going to come from. Now Christian Walker has really really struggled, and I'm might be underrating what he's able to do to pop out from at any given time. He's a a super powerful hitter, but if I had to pick one guy that's going to have that impact, um, I think it's going to, it's going to be probably Corbin Carroll. Um, I just think his all around game, if from the diamondbacks, at least um, his all around game is going to allow him to, to do some other, uh, you know, some other things here, like he wasn't able to really steal in this series. That's because you had JT real Muto behind the plate, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have Jonah Heim, who's also another really good catcher, but I think these pitchers that you're going to face in Texas are a little slower to the plate. Like Nathan Eovaldi has that little kind of hitch in his, in his delivery there. Montgomery's pretty solid, um, which is lefty. You really won't see much stealing there, but people have shown the ability to steal off Max Scherzer too. Um, and like a role Chapman, Jose Leclerc, if you're getting into those, you can steal on those guys. That's where I think Carol's going to be able to make more of a, a ruckus is on the base paths. If you're coming from Texas's side, I really wanted to pick Evan Carter. I really do. I know. But I just don't think that he has the, the power output yet. Um, I don't think he's come into that, especially going against a gallon or Merrill Kelly right away. Um, I think he'll have a good series, but if if I had to pick one kind of under the radar type guy that I think could have a a really big impact on this series and really flip it, I think it's going to be Nate Lowe. They good don't one. they don't have a lefty outside of Andrew Salfrank. That's Nate Lowe is he crushes righties, but he's his struggles against lefties. Right, they don't have a lefty. It's Andrew Salfrank, and that's it. Um, and he, he had a couple good at bats late in that game. I think he was one of the ones that hit the homer off, uh, um, Brian Abreu in the game seven yep. there. Um, I think Nate Lowe is really underrated. He struggled most of this season. If there's a guy on Texas that is able to be under the radar and not picking the easy, you know, Adolis Garcia or Corey Seager, which we've seen Corey Seager do things in the world series before at this stadium at Texas stadium. Like <laughs> we've seen that. I can, mm-hmm. I can attest to that. Um, but I think those are two obvious picks and I kind of went an obvious one, Corbin Carroll. So I would say Corbin Carroll or Nate Lowe, um, would be my two from those, um, to, to get it, but I like it. Throw that, let, let's, let's use a trampoline effect here and bounce the question right back to you. 
Yeah, so I'm gonna. I I I had also had to think about this while you were while you were giving your answers, which I believe are very good. I was actually debating Nate Low myself. It's fine that you didn't take it because I wanted to roll a different way um, with Texas, which was. You know, I, in terms of breaking out, I think Marcus Simeon is extremely due. He's been pretty bad this postseason, but this is a guy who is very, very streaky. Um, you know, he's the kind of hitter that can be, you know, 0 for 4, five games in a row, and then the next three games, he'll have three hits each game, right? I'm waiting for the Marcus Simeon breakout, and what better place to do it than on the biggest stage? Um, he's, I think this is his first time in the World Series. Uh, he's definitely right. postseason seasoned, but he's not been on the World Series stage yet. And I, I think this is the perfect time for Marcus Simeon to uh, you know, show up out of that leadoff spot, kind of give the Kyle Schwarber effect to this Texas lineup and galvanize it from the top. Um, and, you know, he's it may not be via homers. Uh, Simeon's a very powerful hitter, but he's He's also got a, a very strong plate approach, you know, and I, I think he's had the right plate approach for a, a good bit of the the, the offseason here or, the, or for the postseason here. But it's not translated into a ton of success yet. Right. He's not striking out. So I think you're going to see him get a little bit more batted ball luck, hit some extra base hits here, maybe a couple of homers. And, and he might be able to pick it up if Texas rolls in this series. My pick for Arizona, it, it's it is sort of obvious, but it's not. It's Gabriel Moreno. If if Arizona wins this, I think it it, it won't be because their their normal guys are good, right? I think Carolyn Corman Carroll is going to get on base and wreak some havoc. Kendall Marte is going to be solid. It's going to be if Gabriel Moreno or someone equivalent, but I'm thinking Moreno because he's been really good this postseason, right? He's got a 130 WRC plus. If Gabriel Moreno comes out and, and plays that electric catcher defense that we've seen on display and couples that with a couple of key hits, including maybe a homer or two, I mean, he could easily take home, you know, World Series MVP and and, and galvanize this this Diamondbacks offense. I, I actually think Josh Jonah Heim was my maybe third option here was that because Jonah Heim has been a very, very good hitter with like runners on base this season. Um, for the Rangers. And so if the, the catchers have a big enough impact on this series, you know, a couple of relatively unknown catchers in Haim and Moreno, um, you know, they could be really making the name for themselves in a, in a catcher position in Major League Baseball. It's kind of void of, of true superstars at this point because a lot of the kind of incumbent best catchers you know of guys have kind of left and Romuto's aging and he's not obviously in it anymore. And, you know, I, I think there's some names to be made here. Uh, between Heim, Moreno, uh, and then obviously, um, you know, I think Simeon can get back to it. So those those are my guys, uh, and that's barring like a, an Eovaldi or a or a Montgomery right. or a Gallon going, you know, going out and getting three, you know, shut down games. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to do. I mean, we're we're doing these previews all the time, right? And it's really hard when we have so many to kind of do an in depth kind of breakdown that way. Um, so now that it's the World Series, I kind of want to break this down by position group or by, um, yeah, let's say kind of position group, right? So let's let's start with the starting rotation, all right? Mm-hmm. Between these two teams, which starting rotation would you rather have? Texas. Okay. Absolutely. I am, I am on that same way with Texas. I think Nathan Eovaldi, Jordan Montgomery, and the potential of Max Scherzer – is just it right now it just oversees what Zach Gallon, Merrill Kelly, and then Brandon Fott it, it can do at, at this moment. Um, and then I think the ability to have, you know, if it's Andrew Heaney or if it's Dane Dunning, I think that fourth option is, I don't, I don't even think Arizona has that fourth option at the moment. Right. They're, um, they're throwing a bullpen game. Right. <laughs> at least Texas has the ability to have that fourth guy there. I really, really liked that ability from it. So I also lean for Texas. So right now we're going to say 1-0 Texas, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go to let's go to bullpens. Which bullpen would you rather have? I I wash. I tie. I I. Here's the thing: Arizona's bullpen is deeper, but I like Texas's setup more. Right? I like having. We have three guys. You have to beat our three guys. We get the our starter gets us to the sixth, and then we have three guys, and you have to beat our three guys. Um, you know, it's two different philosophies. But it, just if I had to pick, I guess I'm going Arizona. It's 
it's close though. This is I, uh, if I, I had it out of bullpens, I have. I think I take Arizona's bullpen. The ability to have um, Ryan Thompson, Paul Sewald, Kevin Ginkle, then the Andrew Saul Frank, and then to have a guy like Joe Mansupply even there. Um, you know, who, who's really struggled so far, but he's shown the ability to have really good stuff at times. Um, I just think, I think the ability to have Thompson, Seawald, Saul Frank, and then Kevin Ginkle there. And all of those guys can give you more than one inning. And we've seen them do it so far. Um, I just think that bullpen, I think it's a lot more solid. I like, I like Aroldis Chapman, Jose the Clerk, Josh Spores. I think he's a good story right now. He was terrible in the regular season. He's been really good in the playoffs because I think it's high velocity. But I've seen Josh Spores before. He was, he's a former Dodger. Like, I I don't know that like he keeps this up. Like he is he prone been, to he's been tight roping it for sure. Yeah, he's prone to a blow up. Um, and I just I all of three of those guys, they're good right now but they are prone to blowups at any time. Mm-hmm. We've seen Chapman lose the strike zone. We've seen Jose Clerk lose the strike zone. I know personally that Josh Boris can have blow-up games. Um, you have to have those three guys be on it all the time. Yeah. And I just, I think if I, if you're asking me which one I want, would like for right now, I think it's Arizona's. Yeah, I mean, I having, fi- having his bullpen five deep as opposed to three, three. high yeah. is, you know, <laughs> It's better, even though yeah. I think the upside is not as high in the Arizona bullpen. I think the the stability is a lot more yeah. is is much more palpable. So to me, I think it's one one right now. Yeah, I think it's one one. Um, so let's go to offensively. Which team would you rather have offensively? Texas. I think I think that's an easy one. Yeah, um, Texas is just more explosive. They have the more proven track history. They have more a deeper lineup. Like they have eight, seven to eight guys that can beat you at any given time. I think Arizona's is more, we have three to four right. that can beat you at any given time. Then we have a couple fillers in there. Um, so I think that's easy. Two, one, Texas is what we're looking at now, right? Mm-hmm. Now let's go defensively. Who would you rather have defensively, Texas or Arizona? That's, this is, see, this is the tougher one because I, Corey Seager's defense is rating pretty well right now at shortstop, right? And I, I'm I'm genuinely asking. I'm not sure. And, and yes. then you've got it's rated pretty well. Yeah, and then you've got what Geraldo Perdomo playing shortstop. I can't remember yes. who's playing shortstop Geraldo for the. Perdomo. Yeah, it's Perdomo playing shortstop for the for the Diamondbacks, who's I think a third baseman by trade. Gurriel's playing the field for Arizona. Mm-hmm. Christian Walker's maybe the best first baseman in the business, but how much impact is that? Mm-hmm. Moreno and Heim are both really good defensive catchers. Leota Tavares is really good in center field. You know, I, I'm going to go Texas, but it's close. And it's not, the defense is not going to be the impact that we like of all of the things we've mentioned so far, this is number four of impact to this series. I think from these two teams. See, I think it's Texas by a decent margin here. Um, Catcher's really Mm -hmm. close. First base is Arizona, but Nate Lowe is an underrated defender himself. Uh, Marcus Simeon. Yeah. Marcus Simeon is a elite defensive second baseman. Right. Um, yeah, Corey Seager, who is from watching Corey Seager all the time to watching what he's doing now, he's playing like night and day difference, like higher level defense mm-hmm. than he's ever played before. Josh Jung is really underrated defensively at third base too. Like some of the plays he's made incredible. Yep. Evan Carter in left field. He's very good. Like, very good. Leo Tavares is very good. Adolis Garcia. He has incredible range and a strong arm. He's really good as well. I don't yeah. think there's a defensive weak spot on this team where I don't think you can say that about the Diamondbacks. Right. Cattell Marte has iffy defense at second base at times. Geraldo Rodomo, iffy defense at, sec- at times at second base. Evan Longoria is still a really good defensive third baseman, but he doesn't even play all the games, and he gets pulled for a defensive replacement later in the games. Um, left field, you have Lourdes Gurriel playing left field for you. Who is a That's DH. not the best thing. Yeah. Who's a DH? Um Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll, center and right field. I think those really are two good. fantastic defenders as well. But I think Texas has this defensively by a decent margin. And I 
I think that one of these games will come down to at least a a defensive play from one of these sides, either an air from one side or a really, really good defensive stop from another side. I think it's going to be a close game in this one, and that is going to be one game that can flip the series either way. Okay. I think it might be the least impactful for six other games. Sure. I think one of right. these games is going to come down to this to the defense, and I take Texas there to me. So to me, it's three, what, three, one, Arizona, yeah, three, Texas? Three to one, three to one, Texas. Yeah. Okay. Now this is a really underrated part in most postseason, most postseason matchups here. So, and I think this one's going to be a really tough one. Which manager would you rather have right now? Bruce Bochy or Tori Lavella? I kept forgetting that Bruce Bochy was the manager of the Rangers. And then yeah. you'll, look at, you'll look at the the decisions that have been made for this Texas team. Uh, other than Robbie Grossman getting some run in the three hole. Now, which, do you know why? It's because it's because either when they face a lefty, he walks a lot in front of Adolis. It's not really um, even about that. <laughs> it's well, really then not. What's the? It's about that Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager are two very aggressive hitters, and Robbie Grossman is like second in the league in taking pitches per at bat. So why why? Um, Bruce Bochy's putting Robbie Grossman in the three holes because that opens up allowing Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager to be aggressive early in the plate appearance and not throw another guy out of his strategy in the plate appearance by forcing him to take pitches like an Adolis Garcia. It allows Robbie Grossman to go in there, take pitches, work the pitcher a little bit more and see more pitches at that point. So that, I didn't know that either until they talked about it in one of the games there, why Robbie Grossman was there. And it makes the most sense for a Bruce Bochy type reason right. ever. And I think it's it's smart playing because most people wouldn't do that. They would just put a Dolis Garcia in the three hole and say, okay, go. And then you might have a pitcher throw a three pitch inning there and it changes the entire landscape of the game. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason that he's doing it. And it's, it, it's incredible in my eyes. But just so you know and- the real reason why that's happening. Sure, that, that that makes sense to me, but at the same time, right? I mean, you've got, you know, what if Simeon and Seager both get on base, and now you've got Robbie Grossman instead of anybody else. Well, like right? you said he walks a lot. He, he's he walks a lot, but he's also not. He has not been a good hitter this year, um, and he hasn't been a good hitter in the playoffs either. So you know, I, I, there's ups and downs for that, but it is a Bruce Bochy move, right? I'm taking the guy who's managed in the World Series before. Yeah, um, it, it's. Bruce Bochy went and won, I think, two World Series with the Giants. Maybe it was just the one. Or was no, it all three? I think it was all three. It was all three. He was the manager of the Giants and won all three World Series. And this is a guy, we've seen him be willing to throw his starting pitcher to close out an entirety of a Game 7. right? He's already been willing to bring Jordan Montgomery in in a, in a Championship Series Game 7 when Montgomery's still going to have to make two more starts. So, you know. I trust that Bruce Bochy is going to do what it takes to, to get this thing completed. Um, you know, it's, he's got the, the, the team playing in the right way, right? They, they're very energized. They're galvanized. They're comfortable. Um, you know, you look at, there's not a whole lot of, you know, bad plate appearances right now. It, it's, it's very much feeling like a well-coached team. You know, they didn't let the moment get it, get the best of them when they get a, a you know, back-breaking, that was the Altuve home run that costs you your two two you know, your three two advantage at home, right? You know, you go to Houston, you take care of business in the last two games. I mean, that's a the mark of a well coached team. And Arizona's got got a similar you know coach in Tori Lavello, but Tori Lavello hasn't been in the in this situation before, and that's what it would come down to in terms of me choosing. And I'll choose the guy who's been there before, but. Tori Lovello's shown that he can get it done, and, and this Diamondbacks team pretty clearly has those similar qualities uh, of a team who's willing to do what it takes to get it done. And uh, it's just a matter of can he best weaponize fewer, um, you know, fewer assets? Because he's because I think Bruce Bochy has more at his disposal than Tori Lovello does. Yeah, I think Tori Lovello is a really underrated manager, um, and what he's been able to do with that team this year has been incredible. Um, and the way he's been able to galvanize them through the playoffs has been really, really um, fun to see. He's pulled all the right strings at the right moments. Um, but it's it's Bruce Bochy. It's one of the best managers to 
to ever manage, especially in, in the postseason, in clutch moments. Bruce Bochy just, he has that I need feel to pull the right strings that he needs to at any time. And it's not always the same string. If it's, hey, I'm going to let, like, most people would have pulled Nathan Eovaldi before his last inning in, his, in the last start. I think he was at 80-something pitches or something. Um, 82, I want to say. And most people would say, okay, you're done. We're going to go to the bullpen. He let him go in there. And I think it was, I think he faced Altuve, if I'm not mistaken. And he got Altuve. And then he was like, all right, well, that's when I'm going to do it. Basically sent him in there. Didn't bring the new pitcher in to have to face Altuve, Tucker, um, and Jordan, right? You know, back to back to back that way. Or Altuve, Bregman, um, Jordan, whatever it was. Uh, But he allowed... Yeah, you have all to go out there and get that last big out kind of mm-hmm. and, and go from there. He just knows how to, in these, these key moments, make the right call like 99% of the time. So I take that there. So what Texas wins that what four to one, I think is what, what it was or three to one. Anyways. Yes. I think, four that, to one. I think that kind of shows which way we're leaning here. Um, I, I think it's Rangers in six. Um, for my prediction here, um, I just think that you know they, Arizona will find a way to get a couple games here. A couple of these games will be close. I think a couple of them are just going to be bludgeons by the Rangers. I think the offense they showed the ability the last two games against Houston um, that they can they can do that. You know, most of Arizona's games have been close games. They've had to battle through them, um, so. I think I think it's Texas in six. I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven. Arizona team is scrappy, but I think I'm taking uh, Rangers in six. So what about you? You know, we just we just talked about how the Texas is the better team. I, I think <laughs> that's pretty evident. But you know, how how many series would you say has the better team won in this postseason? Zero, maybe one. Um, besides the wild think, card round, the longer I think, I think if you take Texas over Houston, because I think that should have they were the better team. They lost right. their technicality. Um, I think that's probably the one. But I mean, yeah, Texas beat Baltimore. Um, what Houston yeah. beat Minnesota? Mm-hmm. They were they were no, the better I guess team. They were the better team. Yeah, the NL um, has been the worst, the the technical worst team in every series. Yeah. So you know. <laughs> And the NL teams seem to be battle tested, right? I mean, uh, you know, this Arizona team made it to the World Series, but I want to say the 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 beating the Brewers curse. Which, if you if you beat the Brewers in the playoffs, you go to the World Series. That's the case for I think the last ten teams that have beat the Brewers in the playoffs. Uh, they are, I think, they're like five and five or something in World Series. So, like World Series winners, right? Most recent being the twenty. 20 Dodgers which won the World Series so I'm going to say the Diamondbacks will not win this series it, I've, I've literally been waffling on it because I think it's it's just the type of thing that would totally happen is we just sit here and talk about how great the Rangers are and then the Diamondbacks go out and win, win the World Series um, but I'm going to say the Rangers win their first World Series I'm going to say they do it in 7 games I'm going to say it's a it's going to be like a Jordan Montgomery out of the bullpen to save it type of game in game seven, you know, where Texas scraps across enough runs. It's going to be one of those series that just, there's going to be some moments. There's going to be some tension. There's going to be some bat flips. There's going to be some huge home runs. uh, And it's going to be whether or not Arizona can keep up with this Texas team. And I think we've kind of documented, it's going to be really, really difficult uh, for Arizona to be able to keep up. This is, you know, this off, this Texas offense is everything that Philly's offense isn't right. It has that consistency and that power. I, I think the Rangers are going to get it done here and win that first world series, avenge that 2011 loss, because I'm still thinking about that one and I'm not even a Rangers fan. Right. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it just for everything you said there, um, I think Texas just is the better team here. We've seen the, the, you know, the Diamondbacks have proven us all wrong before. I mean, I don't think we've picked them in any series this year outside of, I think I picked them in the wild card round, I want to say. Um, but if there was going to be a team to do it, it was going to be the Diamondbacks. Uh, for what it's worth, Matt did also pick the Rangers in sixth. 
or in six games. So um, the cue here in a week or so, the Diamondbacks like tweeting us with our own graphic, like, mm-hmm. are you sure about that? Because we're all picking the Rangers. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be a fantastic series. Um, I think that for all it's worth, these two teams. I know we just broke it down saying four to one uh, in favor of Texas. I think they're a lot closer than, you know, through most of those things. Like the, I think the starting pitching is it leans Texas, but it it's close. I think the, the offense, like Arizona has shown the ability to have offensive production, but it hasn't, it's not to the level of Texas's yet. Um, so I think it's going to be a really fun series here. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven, but. I also wouldn't be surprised if one of these teams just goes out and sweeps the other team. Like that, that's the type of year it's been too. Uh So, but anyways, that's wrapping up our world series prediction. So we all pick the Rangers in six or you picked them in seven. I picked them Um, in seven. Yeah. In seven. So uh, we're all picking that, but before we head out of here, uh, anything that you want to wrap up on or you want to say, Uh, I'm excited for the off season. I think it'll be a, It'll be a very exciting one, uh, you know, and in terms of the World Series, you know, let's uh, you know, let's get pay attention because a lot of the complaints were, oh, no one's going to watch the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Uh, the Dallas market's maybe one of the three biggest markets in the country, maybe the four biggest markets in the country. So I think I think there will be plenty of viewers in the World Series, but let's all tune in anyway and, uh, you know, chalk those numbers up a little bit. Yeah, so what it's for what it's worth, um every game of the World Series starts at 8:03 Eastern Time or 5:03 Pacific Time. Um so game 1 is Friday. Um they play Friday, Saturday, and then it goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um and then game 6 and 7 would be next Friday and Saturday. So uh really weird that they obviously have to put it right in the middle of us not being able to record on any day without a game going on. So we'll have to figure that out. But uh, yeah, so Friday, October 27th at 8.03 Eastern or 5.03 Pacific time. Uh, tune in for game one of the World Series and be sure to follow us at the Batflip Podcast. You see if you're watching on YouTube, all of our social media handles are right there um, and be on the lookout because we might potentially do a live stream game. We'll have to figure that one out. But uh, thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys whenever we figure that out. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>